So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Gregan again. And Larkham. Kefu. back to another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast and we've got our quarterfinal previews today. Looking forward to this World Cup quarterfinal. It's going to be a very interesting weekend with a few very key matchups. I'm joined here with Toby. How are you going, mate? Mate, feeling good. I'm excited. We've just seen the Wallabies team sheet come out or I guess speculated team sheet. It's not official yet, but we've got a, a few surprises in there. Yeah, and um, We'll get into that in just a second. So the four games that we're going to be looking at today is obviously England versus the Wallabies on Saturday afternoon, um, early Saturday evening, followed by New Zealand, Ireland. And then on Sunday, we have Wales versus France and Japan versus South Africa. So four absolutely massive games. But Toby, tell us what you've learned. What's what's this news about the Wallabies lineup? Well, I've just literally opened up Fox Sports Rugby homepage and you see selection bombshell and you see Jordan Patea um, potentially being selected there at 13 so a huge shock there one that I'm actually I really do like that that pick I think it's um I think it's an inspired choice and it could be you know it could make the difference against England if it comes off yeah I mean it's it's a big call to take a guy that's only played twice previously for the Wallabies against Uruguay and Georgia and then change position from wing to 13 and line him up against England in what will be the biggest game of his career. And it's against, you know, an English centre pairing in probably Owen Farrell and Manu Tuolangi that are very experienced. Um, Tuolangi himself is a big unit. He carries the ball hard. But I think Patea just... I just think his youth will actually help him in this. I think he won't think about things too much. He seems like a pretty calm head. Um, and he's got the size to combat to Lengis. So um, I was a bit worried about having O'Connor there and him getting trampled over in that 13 channel. So Patea, I think, offers a lot more there in both offen- uh, like attacking-wise and also defense. Yeah, it's true. I mean, Tuolangi is probably the biggest 13 um, that you're going to come up against in World Rugby, and you've seen how absolutely damaging he can be in some of these games for England when he's running through three, four, five defenders uh, and breaking lines with ease at points. So I can understand the hesitancy in putting James O'Connor a bit of that smaller body, but I do think it's unfortunate for him. He has he has played pretty well. And then we also are going to welcome back Reese Hodge onto the wing as well. Yeah, I think possibly, you know, for someone who can kick the long ball pretty well, he's pretty good under the high ball, um, defensively pretty sound as well. He's, he's a guy that's very reliable in that position and, I'm not too surprised to see him back there, to be honest. Yeah, I think I think it does come down to the big boot and also having that long-range goal kicker as an option. And you may think that it's going to be a tight game versus England and you might have to take a couple of these long-range penalties just to keep the scoreboard ticking over. Uh, that may make all the difference. I think it's a bit of a trump card. And look, Reese Hodge has been pretty consistent with his form. Um, before we kind of 
had found out that Patea potentially was starting at 13, I thought maybe he'd be a good pick there at 14 on the wing. Um, probably less to think about defensively, but they've taken the plunge. And look, I'm actually really liking the look of this back back line. Genia has been um, selected, I think, at nine from what we're hearing, um, which is a little bit disappointing. I was really gunning for Nick White. I think he's been in better form. I think he's offering quicker ball um, from the ruck there and and really mixing up his running game, which I like. And he's always got a good kicking game as well. So I would have preferred Nick White there, but you know you can hardly complain when you've got someone of the quality of Genia starting the game. Yeah, I'm sure he's going to stand up. And like we wanted to see, we do have Lelyafano in there at 10. So that's that's the preferred sort of 10 playmaker. As you said, strong back line. Karevi and Patea have played together in that 12-13 combination at least once. Um, and then depending on whether Beal passes that concussion protocol, you'd expect him to be there as well. And they've gone yeah. with the back row of Pocock and Hooper with Nasirani as well. Yeah, not too surprising with that either. I know that we talked about earlier in the week, we were thinking Jack Dempsey or Lucan Salakai-Loto may start at six just to combat England's size. Um, but look, this is David Pocock's potentially his last game for the Wallabies. He's going to leave it all out there. Um, he's a class player and I'm sure he'll really rise the occasion and get some of those pilfers going. And your boy, Taniella, who's finally made it onto the bench for one of these big games. Yeah, look, I think it's um, it's a good reward for him. Um, Kepu is the veteran and, you know, he's been starting ahead of him in a lot of these games. So I'm really excited to see what Taniella is going to bring off the bench there. Hopefully he gets some decent minutes, maybe 20 or 30 minutes towards the end of the game. Um, really, I think, a dynamic presence and someone who's got a bit of X factor as well who could break a, make a break and get through that England line. So, um, yeah, very excited to see him in full flight. And looking at England, the thoughts are that they will name an unchanged team from their previous game versus Argentina. And, I mean, it's been a while since they've played now, since Argentina was on the 5th of October, since they got their final game um, cancelled. So... They're going almost two weeks without a game here. Mm. I think that's the one of the biggest question marks over England. If you haven't played for two weeks, you are potentially going to be a little bit rusty there. Um, I'm sure they've been training hard and preparing well, but there's nothing that really simulates that hard-fought, um, you know, that match fitness, that hard and match fitness. And they would have really liked, I think, to have that game against France as a preparation for the Wallabies. Um, wasn't to be, but... You know, Eddie Jones is a, is a pretty savvy coach. He'll, um, I'm sure, have some tricks up his sleeve. So not too concerning, I think. But, you know, England has been in great form during this World Cup, really. They've been scoring some big points in games. They're, they're deserved favourites. So I think that's probably the only thing we can really look at that may be concerning for them. So is there one player in that England team, you've already mentioned sort of Tuilangi, uh, that you are particularly worried about and you think we really need to shut down? Um, if you look at the back line, I think someone that's really dangerous, obviously, Owen Farrell, he brings everything together. We're expecting him to start at 12 with George Ford there at 10, um, but he's really intricate in that back line. And another guy that's out wide, Johnny May, he's a real flyer, tends to score a lot of tries in these big games, and he's someone we really got to keep an eye on. Um, if he starts on the, the left wing there, that'll be Reese Hodge who needs to, to get in front of him and make sure he's marking up well. So mm. he's a real danger man. And I think it's like England has that back line where they can really 
you know, throw it around. They've got some quick guys on the outside and, and they can punch through the middle as well. So I think our back line really needs to be sound defensively to combat that. Yeah, I'd just add on to that as well. Um, having big Billy Vullenpola up front as well, he's going to be a guy that if we can shut him down, stop him making those metres and bending the line and giving the back line a bit of a front foot ball, then that's going to go a long way. So that's going to go a lot on people like Rodder and Arnold and some of our front rowers to really put some hard hits on them and really stop him in his tracks. Yeah, and someone that we probably don't recognise as much as we should down in the Southern Hemisphere, Sam Underhill there at seven. He's a real dangerous presence, um, always making a, a nuisance of himself in the breakdown, and he'll be he'll be trying to outgun the likes of Pocock and Hooper um, and be pilfering hard. So someone we've got to watch there as well. Um, and we can never really forget about Maro Toje. Um, potentially he could start at six, but I think he's probably going to come out there in the second row. Yeah. Um, so he'll be playing a bit tighter, but he's a guy who's, you know, dynamic around the field. And, um, yeah, he, he brings it on both sides of the ball. So he's going to be Dan Germain as well for England. So got to keep an eye on him. So what, what are your chances? What's your prediction in this game? Who do you think's winning? How much? Well, I tell you what, I'm, I'm feeling a lot more buoyant than I was you know, an hour ago or so, I I really wasn't feeling great about the Wallabies' chances, but I like this kind of, you know, this this bit out, a bit of an out there selection in Patea. I think it sends the right message. We're going to come out attacking. Um, England might try and play it tight and play a you know a territory game, kick it around and and try and kind of work us out of the game with possession, lack of possession. But um, you know, I think that we're actually a bit closer with these selections. I like the look of the team. I think England should be favourites, but you know what? I'm going to pick the Wallabies. I think they can do it, um, but it's going to be a very narrow victory if they get it. England are going to be really tough to beat, um, and you know what? We've just got to leave it all out there. We've got to go as hard as we can at the ball. We've got to start well. We can't be lacklustre at all at the start of the game. England are going to be fired up. We need to combat that and really get in and get under their skin and score some points. Yeah, I think that's the only way that I see us winning this game is we if we come out absolutely firing and really knock England back on their heels early, score a couple of quick tries, and then really nail down at some really tough defence and stifle any attack they try and bring. But I, I can't bring myself to pick the Wallabies. I think this, despite it being a very exciting team, this English team is pretty well polished. Eddie Jones is a tactician. He's going to try and pick out weaknesses. And then looking at the match officials for this game, it just doesn't leave me with a lot of hope. We've got a full French contingent, um, refing and assistant refs with old Ben Skeen on the TMO as well. Prime to he's the, slow down. Yeah, he's the one that I'm most worried about, Ben Skeen interjecting into play and trying to you know identify flat, foul play where there isn't mm. any and, and look at tackles you shouldn't have to look at. Um Hopefully he's been kind of told to put his his microphone away and, and stop kind of ruining the flow of play. Um, but, you know, we'll see what happens there. Gar says actually on second viewing of this, I've just read yesterday that he was actually the official when we had that record score against the All Blacks in Perth. So not everything's lost with him. He, um, he's that definitely was, the best of the French refs. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, at first glance, I was like, this is doom and gloom. We're going to get cards all over the place. But, 
he has seen how we can play and we can play clean and we can play well um, against the top team in the world, the All Blacks. So he'll have, you know, certain memories about how we played the game and hopefully that kind of gets recognised. I think we haven't been great with our discipline in the pool games, but we can't afford to to be, you know, committing any sort of foul play because as soon as you're down a man against England, they're going to pile on the points. So yeah, we've got to be yeah. really careful with that. 100%. Let's move on to the second quarterfinal, and that's New Zealand versus Ireland there. So New Zealand, number one team. Ireland, the former number one team coming into this um, coming into this tournament. And these are two teams with a fair bit of history recently. A few really tight games between them. The, it was Ireland that broke the All Blacks' long unbeaten streak with a win in Chicago there. But Ireland just haven't quite been the same. Obviously, losing to Japan in the pool stages. They've now suffered a bit of a loss with Bundy Arki having that red card. And he's gone for at least three weeks, it sounds like, as well. Yeah, that's a blow to them. And he's going to miss the rest of the final series, regardless of how far they go. And that's pretty sad for him. I'm sure they do have a replacement there. I know they're going to have to probably change their structures a little bit. But Ireland is a good team. And Joe Schmidt is a very savvy coach. Um, so I'm sure they'll, they'll, you know, they'll name a strong team. And, you know, I just think All Blacks are flying under the radar a little bit here. I think we've seen that Ireland over the last, what, three games, they've won two of them against the All Blacks. But mm-hmm. I can just see the All Blacks coming out here and making a statement um, and really showing their wares ahead of the semifinals. So I'm looking for a, a pretty big score here by the All Blacks. And, I'm not, like you say, I'm not too worried about Ireland. I think they need to be respected. Um, but I think the All Blacks are a far better team. And if they play to their potential, I think they should win by a fair margin here. Yeah, it's feeling a bit like that, isn't it? I, I dare say I'll, we'll probably see Robbie Henshaw go up into that 12 position with Ring Rose going to 13, which is a centre pairing they've had before. But like I said right at the start of the tournament, uh, I thought they needed that go for the Bundy key really helps sort of get them on the front foot and burst through some lines. And he would be very uh, excited to go back up against the All Blacks and really put them on, uh, really make an impact. And um, it's sad to say that he's not going to be there. Look, Murray and Sexton, they're always going to have danger time. Sexton has been playing well in the last couple of weeks. It's the rest of the team around him that I'm not sure are going to yeah, stand up to the immense pressure that the All Blacks are going to apply for 80 minutes on that team. Yeah, and Ireland have been known to set the platform with their forwards with, you know, um, Amani and CJ Stander, um, Ty, Ty Furlong, guys like this up front. I just think the All Blacks are going to be too good up front for them as well. And I um, just across the park, the, park the, the All Blacks just can match them in all areas. And um, that's why I'd be worried for Ireland. I just, I think that, their best, probably their best form is behind them now. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a terrific run a couple of years ago. Um, looked pretty unbeatable there for a stretch. But Sexton's on the on the wrong side of, you know, he's on the back end of his career now. And it, although he's been kind of stepping it up a little bit lately in these pool games, I don't think it's going to be enough against quality guys like Richie Moanga, Bowden Barrett. They're just a whole other level. So, um, yeah, look, I hope it's a competitive game. I'm just not super confident that Ireland are going to be able to match the All Blacks. Unfortunately, we don't have the team sheet, so we can't really speculate too much further about, um, you know, the personnel. 
Mm. Um, but you'd probably assume that they're still going to go with Bowden Barrett there at the back at 15 and Moanga there at 10. Yeah, I'm predicting a New Zealand win with probably a Bowden Barrett man of the match type style. He's going to show up um, probably what there's been a lot of hype around Jordan Lamore for Ireland and saying that he's a bit of a player in the mould of Christian Cullen um, and they're wanting him to sort of step up. But I think you'll find that Bowden's just going to show a bit of his speed, a bit of his pace and a bit of that just nice even temperament to really convert some of these opportunities and yeah, show off why he's been rated the best player in the world for several years in a row. And like, if you look at this side of the draw and the finals, such strong teams. I mean, Australia, New Zealand, Ireland and England there. So that's a really, really tough side to get through. Um, if Ireland managed to overcome New Zealand, they're likely going to see us or England there in the semi-finals, probably England. Um, and you know what? That's tough. If they make the final, they deserve it. They've never made a semi-final, I don't think, Ireland. No. Um, so that's a bit of a hoodoo for them to get over. Um, and, yeah, when you look at the other side of the draw with Wales, South Africa, Japan, and um, who else we got France. there? France. Yeah. Look, that's that's far weaker. So, you know what? It's going to be these, – these two games are huge. It's a big Saturday of rugby, and I think both of them are going to be very entertaining. Park yourself on the couch for a good couple of hours Saturday night, Australian time. Um, going on to Sunday, and we obviously start off with that Wales-France game. And France, again, one of these teams that had their last game cancelled, so have had a bit of a big break. And they've shown sparks in this tournament, but haven't really all put it together for a full game and then looked a bit at risk in some of those games, almost sort of going down to Tonga right there at the end. Whereas Wales had a few stumbles against Fiji, but really played pretty consistently if not quite at the form maybe they were at when they took the Grand Slam at the start of the year in the Six Nations. Yeah, Wales, are a, they're a difficult team to play. They they do play to their opposition. They change their strategies based on you know their opposition. They're not like the Wallabies who just play the same game plan regardless. Um, Warren Gatlin always has a few tricks up his sleeve. Um, the real hinge, I guess, on this game might be the fitness of Dan Bigger, um, if he's there, I'm, I'm pretty confident that Wales can get on top of uh, France. But if it's um, – who's who's the replacement there? It's Reese Patchell. Yeah, if he's there as a rookie or, a, you know, compared to bigger a rookie, um, I think France might be in, a, in, in with a sniff. Um, but Wales, you know, they, they should win this game, I think. Um, based on their form over the last couple of years, they have the experienced guys there. Um, guys like Jonathan Davis out wide be leading the, the back line pretty well there defensively. Um, and they do have the ability to score points. They're not a, you know, a team that's going to put 40 on you, but they're consistently, you know, winning games with say 25 points on the board because they got mm-hmm. strong defense. Um, and France, unless they, they really come out firing, I think Wales will just grind them down. Yeah. So I think, I think you're right. I think it's most likely Wales to come through here. The The French do have this propensity, though, that once they get into these end games in World Cups, they can turn it on and you never know what sort of team you're going to get. And I do like their sort of young halves pairing Dupont and Natamak, if that's what ends up getting named for this game. I think they do provide a lot of start, a lot of spark. And that outside one of the centres, Fiku, and especially if they play 
Vakatawa, the big Fijian center as well. They do have this ability to cause a lot of issues, um, but you'd still probably back the likes of Hadley Parks, Jonathan Davis to be able to shut down um, that. They're a really great defensive pairing um, to help that Welsh sort of midfield. Yeah, and look, it's good to see that France will name probably an exciting team. They've had a fair bit of unrest in their camp um, around some of the coaches and the administration of French rugby. So um, there's been a bit of controversy and maybe distractions there, but you're right. When it comes to the business end of these tournaments, France have a, a funny way of coming right at the right time. Um, and we saw that, you know, eight years ago in New Zealand, they made the final. Um, so, yeah, look, you can never write France off. I've learned that over a number of years. But Wales, I just think, have a tried and tested method. They have really solid combinations and they've got Warren Gatland, who's um, moving on after this World Cup, I believe. Yep. Um, so, you know, he's going to be really, really desperate to make, um, I guess, full use of the fact they got an easier side to this draw and hopefully get to those semis and potentially face South Africa or Japan. Well, that's it, and that's the next game we need to talk about. Um, South Africa, Japan. They did play just before this World Cup, where South the Springboks really had quite a convincing victory over them by about 40 points or so but that's not the one everyone remembers everyone remembers four years ago the miracle at Brighton um, Japan taking down the Springboks in their pool game and you got to think that Japan are going to be so fired up for this after so much emotion through the pool stages beating Ireland then having a hard-fought game against Scotland where they were absolutely dominant in the first half they didn't look like they even let Scotland into the game for 40 minutes of rugby. They have absolute excitement machines out wide with Matsushima and Fukuoka. And then they have these hard-working big forwards like Inigaki, Shodahorie, um and Himeno, as well as Michael Leach, of course. And what are you thinking, Toby? You think there's... Obviously, the favourite's got to be the Springboks here. They've had the easier run probably through. They've had one game against New Zealand... Obviously tough and going down in that, but after that they haven't really had to break a sweat too much in the rest of these games. That's right. I mean, they'll be well-rested, and this is a Springboks team that coming into this tournament, um, we love their their squad, their depth there. Um, they prepared really well through the Rugby Championship, and we thought they were going to make a real impression in this World Cup. They didn't manage, as you say, to do that over New Zealand in the pool stages, but... I don't think that's really relevant at this point in time. Um, Japan has been flying high. If they can continue that form, I think they'll certainly challenge the Springboks. Um, but it's probably going to take the sort of play that they, they used against Ireland and Scotland in that first half um, and more, I think, against the Springboks to be able to get this done. Um, you're going to know that the Springboks, you know, obviously aren't going to take them lightly. They've seen how well they can play. And they've experienced the pain of losing to them in a World Cup four years ago. So there's a lot of scars there for South Africa. I'm sure they're going to be determined to make amends. Um, You just wonder if Japan, those two performances they've already put in, are they going to be able to produce a third? Are they going to be able to play to that level? Mm. Um, I think they'd need to really run South Africa off their feet, um, play it fast, because they're certainly not going to win the physical battle, I don't think, up front. Um, so they've got to play smart, they've got to play fast, and they've got to kind of shock the Springboks by scoring tries early again. Yeah, definitely. And 
It's tough because the way the Springboks defend, they have that really quick line speed and up and in and sort of, they sort of tempt you with that sort of wanting you to try and throw that miracle ball over the top, which is not something that Japan has been doing. They've been much more willing to go wide quickly, but through the hands to try and keep drawing people in. And I think they almost need to hold on to that sort of game plan and not get drawn into the trap that South Africa tries to set making you throw these miracle balls out wide or keep trying to kick behind them to the wings and stuff. But it's going to be very tough. I think there's probably been a huge amount of emotion flooding through that Japanese team. And I wonder if they can keep that adrenaline running or whether with this week off after everything, they might come out a little bit flat. Um, Maybe can't quite gather themselves up for this game again. It's so difficult to keep that sort of form going, that sort of high level of play. Um, I've been so impressed with them and they produced two of the most memorable performances of this World Cup. There's no doubting that. They've really, you know, taken the support from their fans, their local, locally there and wherever. And Japan is a team that should be taken very... I think they're seventh in the World Kings. So hopefully they can continue to build on that regardless of this result. I just think that South Africa perhaps are, you know, at another level to them. And um, I think... In a big game such as this, South Africa won't let the pressure get to them. Japan has a lot of expectation, I think, and um, you know people will be supporting regardless of of how the game goes. But I just think that the Springboks, with that class that they have across the park, I think they'll be too much for this Japan team. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, I tipped the Springboks at the start of this tournament to potentially, or to make it to the final and potentially take them, take down New Zealand in the final. Um, I still am feeling the same way. I think you're right. I think they're not quite going to be able to continue that sort of play. We saw it at the end of that Scotland game that they were valiant, but they weren't quite playing with the same intensity as what they started with. Um, South Africa looks like they will have Cheslin Colby back um, from that ankle knock that he sustained in the pool games, and that's a big plus for them. He's going to be actually pretty pretty integral actually because some of these as i said japanese wings fukuoka is so quick and so dangerous and matsushima as well um who pops up on both wings he just tracks back and forth on the park so you really need to shut down those guys because they they will provide a spark and if if the japanese team get behind them after that that's when they can start to look very dangerous yeah it's this almost i think the fact that japan won in such dynamic fashion against scotland I think almost they could have saved that for this game. Like, it's too much of a flag now on them. Um, South Africa are well aware of what they can do. Mm. So I think they've actually done South Africa a favour and really flagged how they're going to play, some of the strengths that they have. You know, Ireland was one representation of that. But beating two, you know, pretty top-tier teams in Scotland and Ireland within one pool, um, such a good effort by them. But I think... It's probably giving a bit away to South Africa and letting them prepare for this one. Mm. I mean, in any case, it's it's a victory in terms of what Japanese rugby wanted to do. They wanted to come out and shock the world and announce themselves as a threat to these Tier 1 teams, and they've 100% done that. So we'll see if they can... I'm sure they'll continue to show valiant effort, but, yeah, predicting that we're going to see a South Africa-Wales semi-final on that side of the pool. Yeah, and let's just hope that just just continuing on that point with Japanese rugby, you know, the Sunwolves potentially last year 
uh, to, next year will be their last year in Super Rugby. Let's hope that someone in Rapid Rugby can come along and swoop them up and, and keep that franchise going and build upon some of the momentum from this year's Super Rugby, but also the World Cup and Japan's performances across the international season. I think it's really important that we continue a high-profile team there in Japan and and keep you know people supporting them because they're they're a nation with a lot of money and they care about rugby. Um, and I think they're kind of very important to the future of the game across Asia. Yeah, definitely. And not just in that, that sort of super rugby club level. Um, hopefully we see them a lot more in the international tests level as well, that they're not just confined to playing the Pacific Nations Cup, that we do see them coming across and either playing the Wallabies, playing New Zealand or going on tours to the UK themselves. And I mean, how amazing, I mean, this is a bit of an idea, but imagine how amazing it would be to have, say, Fiji and Japan added to the the rugby championship so that we got six nations in there. We try and build up the strength in both those nations by having them exposed to to higher level of games. And you've seen that with Argentina, although they didn't get through to the finals this World Cup, I think being in the rugby championship has actually really helped them across the board and allowed them to have the opportunity to play teams like the All Blacks, the Wallabies, the Springboks on a consistent basis. So I think it's something with the expansion of, you know, the Southern Hemisphere competition to maybe rival the Six Nations. I think that's something we need to look at. That's it. Change the name, call it the Southern Six Nations or something. Yeah, the Rugby Championship's a bit too generic as well, I agree. I think we need to come up with something better than that. But yeah, um, there's a lot of tinkering to be done, I think, across the next four years. Um, so we're a bit more inclusive with these other teams. Yeah, but I think we're definitely taking steps in the right direction. Well, they're almost getting the boards are almost getting their hands forced by some of these performances from some of those nations, like you said. Uh, so great to see that and hopefully that that continues through the next four years as well. But that's probably yep. all we need to talk about. Toby, any final words about these quarterfinals? Um, not too much, mate. I think, look, the Wallabies, from a Wallabies perspective, I've been a little bit underwhelmed with this World Cup after the highs of 2015 and, and really following so closely. Um I was a lot more confident four years ago. But, you know, if they can shock the world and beat England, um, probably setting up another huge game against the All Blacks in the semis, then I think we're going to see the whole of Australia get behind them again. They just need that one kind of flagship performance that people can kind of hang their hat on. Um, we saw that in Perth, and I think they need to do it again here to um, to get over a top of a very classy England team. So, be lovely for um, Czech to get his revenge over Eddie Jones after having a 6-0 and record against him. Yeah, I think that's definitely a fairy tale storyline, isn't it? If he could take out Eddie Jones just before he leaves the Wallabies um, and set up another classic matchup between Australia and the Wallabies. Like we said, we wanted to see one the third Bledisloe after a tied series this year. So... It all comes down to that if, if we do make it through. Yeah, exactly. A number, number of storylines here. We know that Czech and Eddie are, are, are good friends, but, you know, when they're playing each other, it's it's do or die. And oh. I think, um, you know, Eddie's been bringing the mind games during the week with Ricky Stewart coming in and assisting the England camp. Um, but you know what? The Raiders couldn't get it done in the grand final, so hopefully that rubs <laughs> off on England a little bit. Yeah, mate. There's no one you prefer to beat more than one of your mates, so I can definitely understand that there's a lot of passion between those two. 
Yeah, it's going to be a huge game. It's a great way to start, you know, the weekend of rugby on the Saturday evening there in Australia. Um, I'll be watching early on Saturday here, and yeah, I'm just I'm just hoping that we can get a really good performance. And you know, if we go down, we go down fighting, and we go down with um, some attacking rugby. So let's let's hope they get it done. Yep, in a blaze of glory. Sounds good. At Running Rugby Podcast is where you can follow all the latest news and all those lineups as they come out. That's on Instagram and at Running Rugby Pod. Uh, you'll see all the updates during the games as well. Remember to subscribe and download, let your friends know. Um, just a quick one from us today, just to highlight some of these games, but we'll be back with a bit of a recap and then we'll have the semi-finals to talk about. And after that, it's it's not long until this is all wrapped up. It seems like it's going too quick for me. Oh, it was exciting that first week or so of the Rugby World Cup and then you know things have really sped up a little bit and you know we're coming to the real business end. It's going to be a huge couple of weekends footy and you know for the pod it's we've only got a few more to go this year so we're going to bring it um, like the Wallabies should on the weekend and we're going to come in you know we're going to come in flying on this one and good things are going to happen Arch I can feel it. <laughs> and we're going to go down in blazes of glory. All right, guys. It's all going to be happening. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. Keep on running. Run.